This podcast is on the study of strategic intelligence. Why this lesson now? Four reasons. One, to cap off our leadership and communications bundle of three lessons in February. This was about communications internal to service agency or government that allows our leaders to develop better strategy, influence policy to alter strategy, sometimes dramatically, and demanding and using meaningful population data beyond passing opinions to demand more from flawed surveys, polls, and social media metadata collection, which we'll talk about next month. Essentially, intelligence intelligence driving operations and strategy. Reason number two is this is an introduction to the rest of the course. As, As I said earlier, intelligence drives strategy and drives the strategies that are covered and discussed in Lessons 9 through 14, specifically applications to wicked problems in the information warfare strategy domain, to analyze and navigate the disciplines of population analysis, stabilization, then sub and transnational governance, mobilization and radicalization, and then Lesson 14, partisan warfare. Lesson 15, of course, or comprises our presentations. Reason number three, this is a moment for our deep reflection on analysis itself. Intelligence best practices are critical and strategic thinking best practices, such as logic, sound use of evidence, and rigorous application of methodology. And fourth, and finally, the reason for this lesson now is that this is a moment to apply all, even those with a background in intelligence, to up our game as consumers of strategic and national intelligence. This is, after all, education for immediate professional development in addition to general education for a master's in JPME too. This collateral learning for each lesson. And for this lesson, this is even for those career intelligence professionals and analysts out there, even those that have taught, led, and commanded intelligence education and training institutes yourselves. This is an opportunity to challenge ourselves to become even more effective consumers of that strategic and national intelligence that transcends disciplines of the dime construct or just the military and security Uh, disciplines specifically, looking beyond just traditional state threats, to even look to opportunities in civil society abroad. So now for some background. Information is knowledge obtained from observation, investigation, or study. It is often raw, unfiltered, unevaluated. It could be unimportant, false, incomplete, misleading, in part, or as a whole. So think back to our information and glass-nosed lesson, lesson three in January. Then we have intelligence. In this podcast, when I say intelligence, this is what I mean. Intelligence is meaningful analysis of information. Intelligence is contextualized, vetted, and usable information. It is a type of information. It helps strategic leaders make decisions and informs policymakers to lead the state more effectively amidst challenges, threats, and opportunities. Each information report that then may help inform finalize intelligence is vetted by one, its source, and two, its information. 
something we do for all our critical thinking and something we do for all our primary and secondary sources for our ISRP. So for those of us that are working on drafts of the ISRP, perhaps this is a good time to reflect on how we wrestle with the sources that we are using. When I say source, let me provide an example. Let's say a person. We want to look at that person's past reporting performance, his reliability, his ability to observe, internalize, communicate, transmit, his access, his honesty, his character, his professional qualifications, his education, his language abilities, agendas, biases, physical abilities, such as hearing and eyesight in some cases, and cognitive abilities. We also want to look at the information in this case, in this example, illustration, the information that a person claims. How does this information compare with other information or intelligence that we have? Does it make sense in general? Is it logical? Is there evidence-based? Does it make sense with what we know is true in the world and with, with regards to human nature? Is it relevant? Is it important? And what does it mean? The focuses of intelligence are so much more or so much well beyond the dime paradigm. We are focused on areas and structures and capabilities, organizations, peoples, intentions, influences, ideologies, narratives, psychologies, and also events in the political, military, economic, security, social, infrastructure, medical, energy, and information realms. It will also oftentimes, even at the strategic and national level, will include assessments of the environment, weather, terrain. A little bit on estimated probability. As Vietnamese General Giap noted in 1975, in the history of wars and revolutions, even the most accurate predictions could not anticipate adequately and truthfully, but only approximately and essentially what would take place in reality. Estimative language consists of two elements, and this is specifically uh, by or a quote from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. I'll begin the quote again. Estimative language consists of two elements, judgments about the likelihood of developments or events occurring and levels of confidence in the sources and analytic reasoning supporting the judgments. Judgments are not intended to imply proof that shows something as fact. Assessments are based on collected information, which is often incomplete, fragmentary, as well as logic, argumentation, and precedence. Intelligence analysts attempt to make forthright judgments on the veracity of each report, as well as each report used for that final intelligence, as well as the likelihood of veracity of that finished intelligence product, of that finished analysis. Intelligence is often predictive and contextualized amidst other intelligence and or world affairs. Intelligence scholar Sherman Kent, Sherman Kent suggested using words of estimative probability with intelligence assessments. We'll often see words like highly unlikely, unlikely, possible, likely, highly likely, and almost certain. 
with their ISRP, we are not proving your thesis. We are not proving anything. This is not mathematics. This is not the study of philosophy. And this is not law. This is essentially strategic studies uh, with military history and the study of the history of an application of strategy. So again, we are outside the realm of proving something, if you will, that you would get in, for example, uh, basic or theoretical mathematics and philosophy. Now, policymakers and commanders have the burden of making decisions with imperfect intelligence, even scenarios that the intelligence analysts judge as almost certain may never pan out. It is thus important that statesmen and military leaders understand fully and grapple with the uncertainties of honest intelligence estimates. And now I want to look specifically for the rest of the podcast to a challenge, just one type of challenge, of intelligence collection, seams, and gaps, and overlaps that you will experience as a consumer. This is to break open just a select few of the challenges of intelligence professionals who will be preparing and disseminating intelligence analyses that you will be consuming and using through the ranks and intelligence that your senior leaders, commanders, policymakers, and lawmakers right now continue to receive, wrestle with, and in many cases direct as we speak. So on intelligence seams and gaps and overlaps, imagine that a terrorist travels back and forth between Somalia and Yemen selling the, narcot- the narcotic, the drug cot. The English transliteration is QAT, cot. It is a narcotic that is grown in East Africa, in the Middle East, and other areas. Uh, if you want to look up uh, a little bit about it, it is a very dangerous narcotic um, that can sell for a lot of money. So imagine that a terrorist travels between Yemen and Somalia to sell this drug. Some of that money, let's say, and this is an illustration, this is an example. In fact, this is an oversimplified example, and we'll see how even something that's oversimplified can become very complex very quickly. Some of the money from this trade goes into the hands of al-Shabaab. That's a terrorist group in Somalia that has in the past affiliated themselves with al-Qaeda, And some have even affiliated themselves with ISIS at certain times. They also sell directly to ISIS in East Africa. And much of this money also goes back to Iranian-backed Houthi rebels and terrorists in Yemen. So now we have jurisdiction, geographic, and thematic overlaps and seams. This person, let's call him X, conducts some of his sales on a port in East Africa owned and run by a Chinese company, like all Chinese companies abroad, with the backing and influence of Beijing. And let's say this Chinese company is aware that this is going on with their private security team, but they elect not to do anything about it. They elect not to make a phone call to local police, not even doing it confidentially. They realize they don't want to stir the pot or anger violent extremists or narco-terrorists. So they allow this to happen. It's kind of a little bit of leakage, and they don't come out uh, and tell the world or other countries or governments or law enforcement about what is happening. 
So let's say this person also, in addition to selling cot and funding terrorism, when he is back in Yemen, when, when this person is not selling his product in East Africa or sailing as a stowaway between Yemen and Somalia, let's say he gets on social media, like so many violent extremists in the past have done, to try to inspire U.S. visa holders to conduct terrorist attacks in the United States. And also, using social media, tries to raise money for ISIS and for al-Shabaab in East Africa. He's trying to raise money from U.S. persons. So it's counterterrorism. So we have the National Counterterrorism Center and their intelligence analysts reading reports and conducting their own analyses. This is intelligence. As intelligence collection analysis, this is overseen by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. This affects the U.S. homeland, so we're bringing in the Department of Homeland Security Office of Intelligence and Analysis. The three umbrella agencies, these are the three big bureaucracies or agencies or umbrella groups that came about after 9-11 in order to share information better and for better oversight. Okay, so you have, again, Office of Director of National Intelligence, Department of Homeland Security, and the National Counterterrorism Center. The three umbrella agencies each have their own counterterrorism focus, their own China focus, their own intelligence analysts developing finished Intel products, sometimes independent of each other, sometimes in collaboration. These three organizations are not just oversight organizations, but they actually generate intelligence analyses finished products themselves. So they're also competitors, which is not necessarily always a bad thing. Then you have the, the Defense Intelligence Agency, counterterrorism branches and offices and divisions. You have the Central Intelligence Agency's CTC, Counterterrorism Center, which still exists, and it came before the National Counterterrorism Center, who are tracking and analyzing. You have different collection disciplines, signals intelligence, satellite intelligence, human intelligence. So there's varying agencies that may not only put out information reports about what's collected, that is raw data, raw information, but in many cases may actually also put out their own analyses. Then you have the chiefs of stations and country teams and embassies from Mozambique to the UAE, to Beijing, to Tokyo, that are also tracking, reporting, and commenting on what is going on. You have analysts, analysts that specialize on Iran, that specialize on China, that specialize on Somalia, then specialize on regions, such as some agencies will have a Near East, South Asia division. Other agencies may have a Middle East, North Africa division. And it's a lot of fun working together. Actually, it actually is, actually. Um, and you have people that specialize in counterterrorism, specialize in Houthi terrorists, specialize in al-Shabaab, specialize in ISIS. You have those that specialize in radicalization and mobilization and stabilization, things that will be brought up later in this course in March and April. You have analysts that specialize in counter-narcotics. You have analysts that specialize in black markets and the dark web if that platform is also used to sell or acquire narcotics. You have analysts that specialize on littoral issues, that is, in the shallow waters offshore, in this case, perhaps Yemen 
and East Africa. You also have analysts that are looking at sea lanes between Yemen and Somalia. We have geographic seams between Central Command, Africa Command, and Indo-Pacific Command within the Department of Defense. State Department also has seams, some would argue, or they have different regional foci. You have linguists and analysts and collectors looking at social media, so unclassified open information. They're looking at social media trends and data, perhaps from companies that are headquartered in the United States. Now, we want to share both information, but more importantly, finished intelligence analysis with not only numerous government agencies in the United States, not only with Congress, and this means numerous committees in both the House and the Senate, but also perhaps with international cooperatives and governments abroad that have interest and may have insight, something to add. For example, you have the Africa Union, you have the United Nations, whose Africa headquarters is in Nairobi. There are processes to try to ensure good sharing, not too much overlap, and just enough cover down in seams. But often these best practices are as good as leadership in those communities. Leadership to ensure one or a few agencies aren't hoarding their information and perhaps their intermediary or finished analyses, and leadership to ensure that each organization is not assuming that another agency is taking care of the problem. Do you want to wait and watch? Collect information about the people that are being contacted. Let's say X is contacting people in New York City to raise money and to try to inspire them to conduct attacks. So do you want to wait and watch those people in New York City? Collect information about their networks and their groups in surrounding areas. Maybe these, this, this, these people in New York City, the people that X is in communication with, perhaps they travel also to New York State outside New York City, as well as to New Jersey and Connecticut, what is called up there the tri-state area. But then you have law enforcement. Maybe they want convictions. Whereas the intelligence community, again, generally may want to provide a leash and wait and see how broad this network is. Then you're also dealing with New York Police Department's Counterterrorism and Counterintelligence Division, the New York City Intelligence Fusion Center, the New York State Fusion Center in Albany, and Fusion Centers in Connecticut and New Jersey, State Fusion Centers, City for Fusion Centers, assuming again that these people out of New York City are traveling outside of New York, uh, in New York City, are traveling outside the city. We should also probably want to inform and bring in NORTHCOM, North Command, because they have offices that focus on homeland security, as well as intelligence, as well as counterterrorism. And we go on and complicate matters yet more. This is a dizzying, seemingly endless laundry list of lanes and responsibilities and authorities, disparate missions, and different personalities. And this doesn't even get into too much into the law enforcement world, where you have the FBI, a national law enforcement organization. But it won't just be the FBI. You'll have ATF, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. There's counter-narcotics, so you might want to bring in the Drug Enforcement Administration. Perhaps ICE, that is Immigration and Customs 
enforcement, this is, of course, an agency of the Department of Homeland Security, maybe they will be in the best place to round up the visa holder if that person uh, had, for example, was audited, found out that their uh, visas uh, were not filled out properly, which oftentimes is the case. And in fact, oftentimes ICE gets those terrorist convictions uh, or it gets people moved out of the country or targeted uh, before the FBI and other organizations. So this is a dizzying, the dizzying, seemingly endless laundry list of lanes and responsibilities and authorities and missions and personalities. Yet for a national intelligence officer, this is the norm. Sharing with other governments and other agencies from a beat police officer to the White House to our embassies abroad, to U.N. headquarters in Nairobi. Get it wrong, and Congress may call yet for more oversight, more working groups, more interagency task, force, task forces, which sometimes may be very good, sometimes helpful, sometimes that is appropriate. Get it right, track the larger network at play, and stop terrorist attacks, uh, stop the selling of narcotics, the raising of money, Target these terrorist groups, or they get they become targeted successfully because of the intelligence that is disseminated. That is that finished intelligence analysis, and it's unlikely that the intelligence professional will get any praise at all. Thank you.